Welcome to the Enchanted Ears podcast, where we discuss anything and everything Disney. I'm Angela. And I'm Joe. Got another great episode for you this week. We're going to be jumping back into our next edition of the Disney Decade. We're going to be covering the 1940s yes. this year. So we're just moving right along. I was thinking about this, that you know, the first couple of decades, it seems like it's so long ago, but then we're in the 40s. But then in the next decade, we get into the 1950s, and it's Disney Disneyland opens up, and it's like Disneyland doesn't seem like it's that old. So I think it's like we're going to be, before we know it, up uh, into the current time period. Yeah, so I feel like it the seems 19- like stuff happens just so much quicker. I feel like the 1940s is like the stutter step. Like 20s and 30s, everything's chugging along, and t- 1940s is sort of where there's some like weird strife going on. So um, there's definitely some tension. Today. Well, I mean, it's an interesting. Teaser. It's an interesting decade because it's the golden era of animation. So, I mean, some of, the, some of the most beloved and classical movies come out in the 1940s. But then you're right. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of conflict and things in the 40s as well. But, but yeah, because like jumping right into it, at the end of the 30s, uh, you know, you have Snow White, like kind of the first animated feature film. Disney just kind of keeps that rolling at the beginning of the 40s. He releases three movies pretty quickly right after each other you have pinocchio in february of 1940 you have fantasia in november of 1940 and then in 1941 you have dumbo so they he really piggybacks on the success of snow white and just rolls right into kind of like i said some of the you know the classic films that everybody loves the golden era of animation right but the issue with these films is that during this time there's a lot of background noise but a lot of things going on that makes them not as successful i mean they're well known today but at the time they weren't as successful as he wanted them to be so when pinocchio and fantasia actually was were released they were technical masterpieces but because of world war ii Disney was losing a lot of its overseas market. So it, the movies didn't perform as well as like a Snow White. Well, I, I was going to say that. I mean, it, as successful as these movies were, and as, you know, like I said, they're considered, you know, the pinnacle of animation at the time and even to this day, none of them ever made money. I mean, <laughs> we've talked about this, you know, since the beginning. The Walt Disney Company, which it's crazy to think of today, was extremely strapped for cash all the time. Right. And, Actually, in 1940, the same year that those two movies were released, Disney went public. Right, yeah, that, that was the other big thing in April. So they raised $3.5 million going public. And what's interesting is, as Walt and the company started to gain success, this is kind of the first decade where that success comes into play. So the company you know, actually starts growing. They're no longer this kind of ragtag, small group of animators now that they've had the success of Snow White. And so things change, and with the success... You know, Walt kind of loses a little bit of control of the company, which we'll kind of talk about. But basically, mo money, mo problems. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because what what it kind of boiled down to was, you know, Walt was a perfectionist, and he wanted everything to be perfect. And so, the Wait, m- is that what a perfectionist is? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, by definition, in case, in case a perfectionist wants things to be perfect. In case you didn't know, so. But instead of, you know, making the movies a little bit cheaper and maybe not up to his, you know, extreme standards, he kept pushing things. And that's why these movies cost so much more than they really needed to. 
And that was also one of the reasons why they didn't make money. And they were always looking for money because, you know, Walt would always be adding things to it and always redoing scenes. And, and he, you know, they were hired so many new animators. They moved the studio to Burbank in the 1940s. So it just, they just needed so much money. And that's why they ultimately went public in 1940. And, you know, I, I don't think it was something Walt particularly wanted to do. I mean, I think a lot of people told him, hey, be careful going public like this because then you're not going to own your company, you know, at the end of the day. Like, you're going to have to report to somebody else, to shareholders and things, and you, you're not going to have the full control. Down the road, I think it that... It seems like it would definitely cause problems. Yeah, and I think it, it did cause, you know, a little bit of a, of a strain, and I think it caused some problems for Walt, you know, down the road. In the later decades is, you know, he kind of... He, he split off a little bit from the the film studio to kind of build Disneyland and everything and but we'll kind of get to that in in the next decade but yeah it was interesting so they raised three and a half million dollars but all of these movies lost money you know Pinocchio Fantasia you know Dumbo none of them did commercially well they re-released Snow White to kind of pull in more money so but yeah that was way that was way down the road though I mean that was in 19 19- 44 so oh i mean that's not way down the i road. mean yeah but it's like more in the middle of the decade than the beginning of the decade right but, so but yeah but to your point also early in the decade was kind of world war ii which which played a big impact into things right so like i said this is definitely a decade where there was a lot of issues brewing in the company and also in the nation as in general so um you have a lot of unionization going on of the other animation studios and in, in general in America. So Disney was like the last holdout. People didn't, um, they didn't unionize for a while. And I guess a lot of the benefits weren't even amongst the, the animators. So there was talk and people were trying to unionize Disney. And Disney actually didn't want that to happen. He pulled people into a room and he talked to them and he basically told them like, you need to get your house in order. And a lot of people thought that was condescending. So that caused a lot of problems, which later down in the forties, like it caused more, like it's one of the things in Walt's past that people point to and say he wasn't as great as people like to think. I mean, this was a really interesting time and and kind of like we said at the beginning, I mean the forties, it is kind of like a a tale of two eras a little bit. You know, you have the golden age of animation, but then you also have this kind of personal and corporate strife going on. You have the war in the background. And this is all in the early 40s and, you know, the late 40s. It, it kind of picks back up again and things turn around. But this whole strike situation is a very interesting thing because, like you said, there was a lot of unionization going on, but a lot of it was kind of done to strong arm these studios. So uh, Willie, I think it's Beoff is how you pronounce his last name, B-I-O-F-F. He was actually one who was leading a lot of the unionization and he actually went to jail for essentially like a racketeering kind of charge. Like he was in with organized crime and essentially what they would do is go to these studios and threaten to unionize their employees in a, for a bribe money. Like basically pay me off and then I'll make the union talk go away. Wow. So they would cause this stuff. And he went to jail for it ultimately for doing this to these Hollywood studios in the 40s. So 
so a lot of this you know unionization talk was coming from that and originally you know the the Disney employees kind of said we don't want this guy to come in and kind of bully the studio so we'll start our own union like they weren't going to join the existing animators union at the time they were going to create their own nice and so so it was originally to block this and then it kind of became this whole thing because like i was saying with the success of the company growing things kind of changed for walt in the 20s and the 30s he really saw this as like a family that you know it was it was a small group of animators it was a family he kind of knew everyone everyone knew him and so as they grew there was a lot more people you know he didn't know as many people and then whenever they wanted to unionize, he took it very personally as like, hey, yeah. this is my family turning on me. So right. he even fought, fired one of his senior animators, Art Babbitt, who is well known for a couple of his like some key characters for Disney. And because he joined the union and then yeah, he, David- was, he was kind of like he was kind of the lead of it. But yeah. So yeah. So while, you know, Walt's actions, you know, weren't necessarily the greatest. And and you're right, it is kind of. Uh, a black eye a little bit on on Definitely. his legacy but if you kind of you know just on the other side to play devil's advocate whenever you see it from his perspective it was like this was his family turning on him it was more of like a family quarrel type thing than hey a union versus non-union but he definitely did not handle it he very handled well it at poorly. all and i think that up to that point like if we just if the story just stopped here i think it would be fine but um later in the decade Walt testified before the House Un-American Activities Committee, calling some of those animators uh, who picketed for, for like for unionization communists. Yeah. yeah, and that was a big deal at the time. The Red Scare was huge. People were jailed from it. People were blacklisted from Hollywood because they were being like supposedly like communist sympathizers, and that was a name that was synonymous with like terrorists back at the time. Right, pretty and, much. And again, and you know. It's kind of a, a snapshot of the times. I mean, the whole Red Scare and everybody being a communist, that was a, a huge thing in the 40s. And, right. And it was a huge thing in Hollywood. And I mean, it's why Arthur Miller wrote The Crucible. Yeah, and, and Walt, again, I mean, not to... Defend bad behavior. Yeah, yeah not, not to defend him. Thank you, couldn't think of the word. But yeah, not, not to defend Walt, but you know, I think part of him you know, thought it was like the communists coming in and trying to destroy his company, you know, and, and it was a mix of, like I said, that this family quarrel and, you know, he was like, why would they want to do this to me? And, it's and just so, a situation where I think that he could have taken the high road and he felt so betrayed. He couldn't see. Yeah. And I think part of him believed it though. I mean, I think part of him actually thought that maybe, because I think everybody thought communists had everything to do with everything back then. You know, it was kind of like, that was the mindset that, Hey, everything is communism. So anything right. about it, it was the it was the modern it's day, the more modern day Salem witch trials. You know, yeah. something is going on that I don't like, understand. and I don't understand it, and so I'm just going to call that person a witch, or I'm just going to call that person a, a communist. Um, again, read the Crucible. It's a great book. I know you probably read it when you were in high school. You probably hated it then, but it it holds up whenever you read it as an adult. Right. But the strike ultimately was settled, and this is kind of what's interesting. So Walt causes a lot of problems they're on strike i mean there there's kind of you know conflict they're picketing like you're right he you know he's firing people and everything there was like a physical op- or altercation yeah, there was. Yeah, they, between he and art i think they bring in arbitration i think at one point 
um, Willie, again, I think I'm pronouncing his last name correctly, be off. Disney actually brought him in to help mediate this. So the guy they were trying to avoid coming in, they brought him in to help mediate it. That's interesting. At, at one point, I read that somewhere, but it ultimately didn't go anywhere with him. But they bring in kind of the government, the Labor Relations Board to help mediate this. And Walt essentially, because he can't handle it, he goes away on vacation to South Africa. South America. Okay. I thought I had South Africa. Yeah, because he he at the time, um, another thing that's kind of going on, um, I mean, I, you can du- double check, but I'm pretty sure it's South America. The World War II is going on too. So we mentioned that we have this unionization thing going on, but also in 1941, this is when the U.S. got involved in World War II because of Pearl Harbor being attacked. So during this time, the U.S. Army actually came in. They took control of half of Disney Studios to house troops assigned to protect the nearby Lockheed plants. So basically, yeah, it's but, like quartering for a company. Yeah, hold on. But we'll get into that. But I just want to wrap up on the strike here. So you're right. He did go to South America. But so Walt kind of leaves. Uh, and similar to whenever he, I think, you know, before he kind of had a little bit of like the mental breakdown from the stress of the studio, he, he took a trip. So he goes to South America and basically tells Roy to deal with it. And pretty quickly, within a month or two, the strike settled. Roy, Roy essentially agrees to everything they wanted. And so, again, it's kind of that interesting dichotomy between the two of Walt always pushing for perfection and everything. And then Roy being the businessman to kind of keep the company moving. Yeah. You know, if it wasn't for Roy, I don't think the Disney company would have yeah, existed this long. Yeah, where are all of the Roy statues holding Mickey's hand? <laughs> well, I mean, Roy didn't in, Roy didn't create Mickey. I mean, Walt definitely was the visionary. Well, no, I know, but you're, you're right, though. He's like, I mean, there are a lot of people that help to make businesses successful, and it's not just those two men, but, like, you think about it, without Roy, you probably don't have a Walt because Walt would have driven the company into the ground. That, exactly that's the thing and, and in so many other companies you look at like if you look at apple there's steve wozniak and steve jobs everybody remembers steve jobs but if it wasn't for steve wozniak building the computer it would have never happened because you know steve jobs was the visionary the flashy guy same with microsoft you know bill gates is the face of microsoft but there were other people that helped create it um, as well paul allen you know, he he was a co-creator of Microsoft, but nobody remembers that because he wasn't, you know, the flashy face and visionary. So it's kind of the same thing that, you know, Walt is, he definitely is the visionary and he created all of this, but without Roy, none of this would have lasted. I mean, Roy was the one that kept going to the banks and getting the money. Roy was the one that settled the strike. You know, Roy was the one that, that kind of helped, you know, fund everything. Uh, and it's, it's just really interesting, but you're right. I think to an extent, Roy kind of gets lost in history, but I mean, his, his role in the company and, and keeping the company going so that Walt could create these visionary works and, and push, you know, and make Disney a household name would have never happened if it wasn't for Roy behind the scenes. Yeah, exactly. I, I bet family dinners with those two was very interesting. I think they got along. I mean, I, I do think, and again, for, kind of from reading the, the, Disney biography and just other things. I mean, I, I definitely think they they got along. I'm sure you know they conflicted over the money of things because again, Walt all he didn't care. He just wanted to spend. He wanted to make it right. You know, we talked about and when we talked about the 30s with Snow White that the movie was done in over budget, and 
before they were finishing, Walt didn't like how the one scene, there was like a glimmer or something on it, and he wanted to redo it, but it was going to cost like $100,000. And Roy said, no, we're just, we have to go. But then once mm-hmm. it became successful, they went back and replaced it. But you know, like Walt, did, Walt didn't re- care about the money. I wonder if they fixed it for the re-release. I oh. think they fixed, we talked about it. They fixed it pretty quickly after the movie came out. Okay. Because once the ticket sales did so well and they made all their money back, they said, okay, now we can we can go ahead and do it. But yeah, it's interesting. So, so that was in... Um, well, like August, August and September is when the strike ended in 1941. And this I, is also when Walt is still in South America, right? It, yes. Yeah. Right. He, he left and then comes back. Well, his dad passes away yes, when, when he's, he's away. in South yes. America and he doesn't come back for the funeral. So that was another kind of crazy thing. So, um, that, that occurred during 1941. Again, I think travel was probably a lot harder back oh, then. Oh, I'm, I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure he probably didn't know until after the funeral occurred. I mean, just thinking of how quickly well it wasn't like Roy could just call him on his cell phone um, yeah I mean te- he didn't have text messages or Facebook or anything back then uh, which is crazy so yeah for all the young people listening there was a time before text messages <laughs> on the internet so I mean this is probably in the time of like party lines and they stuff send, right they had to send pigeons back in the 1940s no this is like 40s? a raven they sent a raven with a scroll yeah the 40s was like party lines wasn't it or maybe I don't know if it was before I, or after I'm not sure it was yeah land for those of you who are for but international who don't, calling was probably tough well, yeah, and it was probably really expensive because back in the day, also, if you made an international call, it was super expensive. But party lines was basically, uh, I'm explaining to like people. Like shared lines. Yeah, you share your line with like your neighbors. So if you pick up the phone receiver and you hear your neighbor talking, you you can't use the phone then. Yeah. So I'm crazy. Not sure when that was. But, but then, as you kind of mentioned, you know, World War II is going on this whole time. December 7th, 1941, Pearl Harbor occurs and the U.S., gets involved officially in World War II. And then that kind of changes things completely, as you said. I mean, not only is the government kind of taking over, but men are getting drafted and, and you know, he's right. losing And the company staff. itself will, becomes essentially, I mean, it becomes kind of a, involved in the world war effort because then Disney starts to release and make propaganda films yeah, eventually. And, it, and it's interesting because... The war hurt because they did lose a lot of people and resources. So, you know, they're not making movies. But these government films, they weren't making money on them, but they are essentially making them at cost. So it did kind of help keep the company going because it gave them steady work. It got it got the animators trained up and people continuing to move on. So they're able to kind of still practice their craft as they made these films. I believe some of these films even won awards. Some of these um Different films. I I don't. I didn't write the names. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't write the names down. Evidence but of that. No, I didn't write the names down. But there were definitely some that that were kind of like award winning um, films. So yeah. So it was an interesting time of yeah. They're making government films, but it actually kind of strangely helped the company a little bit. Right. So we're pretty much up to like. 1942 ish we were kind of we're skipping around but in 1942 bambi was released as you are i think you know i think you mentioned I, it yeah i don't think no, you said dumbo i you didn't mention say bambi. bambi yeah yeah dumbo. bambi was a re- released it was really expensive and it caused the company to retrench so when i read it that word um i had to look it up so joe do you know what retrench means mr like just go backwards uh no it's like a financial term so it means to to cut its spending essentially like they couldn't they couldn't um, spend nearly as much, and that was kind of cool. And then Walt also got a secondary honorary 
Oscar. So this is after the one he received in the 1930s for Snow White. So this one wasn't like a special Oscar that was like cool, but it was still um, he, he got an Oscar for creating Fantasia specifically for sound design in what they called Fantasound. Yeah. So we, we kind of we brushed over this again. Fantasia was released in 1940. But again, how Walt was always pushing the medium forward. He was the first to do synchronized sound with cartoon movies. You know, he had the he invented the multi-plane camera for animation for Snow White. He basically invented surround sound <laughs> that we have today. Yeah, it's a pre- precursor yeah. to surround yeah, sound. Yeah, yeah, he, but he basically yeah invented that, and f- because whenever they did Fantasia, he wanted to take sound to a new level right he is taking the audience essentially to he's showing them a movie in a cartoon but he's also taking them to the orchestra because you have all that orchestra music in the background of fantasia right so he wanted to build it so that you were enveloped by the sound so he created surround sound and he basically forced i mean he forced the movie studios to do it and the fact that if they wanted to show fantasia they had to install these new speaker systems and things no you're supposed to keep talking i was just doing a soundtrack to what you were doing okay i was very confused <laughs> thought like Let's am i again. missing something so <laughs> so yeah so they basically you know they created the surround sound system and, and the movie studios wrong. started to install this and because now that they have this in place other movies you know started using the surround sound and now we have what we have today so i mean you could you could say maybe somebody else would have invented it, but you know our our Dolby surround sound seven point one speaker system. You know the beginnings of that started with Walt Disney, which is kind of amazing. I mean, like somebody all else stuff that, that might have invented it, yeah. but it might not have occurred for several more years, which would technologically put us back several years as well. So that's just a some food for thought. Yeah, and he and he did that with a like a joint collaboration with RCA. So it was it was between you know Disney an RCA at the time. So cool. Uh, another award that Walt received, and this one's actually even a bigger award than winning an Oscar. He got the Irving G. Thalberg Memorial Award. So that's an award that honors, and uh, this is in air quotes, uh, in quotes, creative producers whose bodies of work reflect a consistently high quality of motion picture production. So this is a special award that's presented at the Oscars. It's not awarded every single year. It's just awarded kind of, as needed when it comes up. So um, just to give you kind of a picture of how special of an award this is, Alfred Hitchcock, Steven Spielberg, Francis Ford Coppola have also won this award. So it's a big, it's a big deal. Um, also, Disney made Saludos Amigos for the South American market markets, no doubt probably influenced by his trip down there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he, he took a goodwill trip down there and you know, similar to whenever he took his other trips, you know, he, he found a love of nature. So he started the Disney nature documentaries. Yeah. When you know, he's down in South America, you know, he kind of started this. So this is where we got the three caballeros. caballeros. Yeah. So that's, if anybody's been to Mexico and Epcot, that's the the boat ride there. It's not the best boat ride. But. Is is that what, like the Donald that they have standing out there? Is he from the three caballeros? The Donald that we have a picture with, he has a sombrero on. Yeah, so so outside of the Mexico Pavilion, you have statues of the three caballeros there. Donald Duck is one of them. Caballeros. Caballeros. And then the boat ride inside. I'm really saying that wrong, and I'm being pedantic about it. (laughs) The boat ride inside is also with them as well. Uh, So... Then we have a few years. I don't know if you have anything, but we have a few years that nothing really happens. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, it's like the early 40s, a lot lot happens. It's 
all the all the classic movies come out. You have World War II. You have the strike. And I mean, similar to the rest of America, World War II kind of depleted a lot of resources. So there really wasn't a ton happening in America at the time because everything was so focused on the war efforts. I mean, even Disney, like we said, he's making uh, you know government films. Yeah. You know, so not much else is really going on. And like morale boosting films too. Like I mean, exactly. I said po- I said propaganda, but also he made things for like the troops to try to you know keep them motivated exactly and and he didn't actually enjoy making those films too that's another thing that i read is that you know that was kind of like a bread and butter kind of situation and it helped keep them afloat but he didn't find very much creative joy in that right because it was hard i mean it's hard to be creative in that aspect i mean when you're making films like you have to like yeah you have to like walk a very fine line because you don't want to go over too much like go over the top too much you're making it for adult men so yeah, and when you're making films like snow white and bambi and pinocchio and i mean like when they made bambi you know they brought in live deer and just watched live deer i mean it, it's you know you know nowadays you know animators do that a lot you you see that all the time of yeah, they uh, did that with the lion king with lions right yeah exactly i mean yeah they, they do that all the time but you know walt kind of i think first started doing that's like hey let's see how a deer actually walks and and, and how they move to, to kind of get a very realistic depiction of a deer. So when you're doing things like that and you're pushing the medium forward and you're inventing surround sound and things, you know, when you start making these just basic government films, it's well, it's also, not as yeah, fulfilling. I mean, every idea you come up with isn't going to be gold. I mean, he just came up with like three or four like super amazing ideas in a row. So right now he's kind of in a little bit of a respite. It's not like Steve Jobs created... You know, he made the iPhone, he did the computer and the iPad. And then like, there's nothing else that's really revolutionary. I mean, he's done a lot of really cool things, but. Yeah. So then the middle of the forties, yeah, it's, it's kind of uh, a slow period. There's, there's not really much going on, but then. Yeah. We have, I mean, the re-release of Snow White happens in 44. Again, there was a lot of creative difficulty as you were saying. I mean, they re-released some of the other movies too, that, you know, that they made. I'm not sure the exact years, but but they released re-released all those, and again, it was to kind of get some of the money back. Yeah, I was so so say. while their initial runs they weren't necessarily a success, they ultimately did become successful just through re-releases and and things like that. Um, but then, yeah, towards the end of the decade, more starts to happen again. Yeah, things start to pick back up, and it gets it gets more positive. Now, again, it's not like they're they're making any sort of major movies, but we're starting to get into the period where. Walt is starting to get the idea for Disneyland. So I don't know if right. anything and else it's, it's kind of before that. In the or- 40s, yeah, I have, I have a bunch. But yeah, because in the in 50, early, I think it is 1950. Um, this will be for the next episode, but that's when Cinderella comes out. So it's they're, they're, this is like that right in between period. So in 46, Walt actually ceases voicing Mickey Mouse. So I think we've mentioned okay. in, in former yeah, episodes he that he was the voice, but... They speculated because, you know, there's a lot of business in the company and Walt had a hard time, you know, finding time to voice Mickey Mouse. But also, also he smoked. So yeah, much. his chain his, smoking, yeah, his voice um, went, that he yeah, couldn't do the, the voice other, anymore. That's the other speculation. So he handed over the reins to Jimmy McDonald, who actually continued to voice Mickey Mouse until his retirement in 1977. So quite, you know, he, he voiced him for quite some time, too. So, um, but it wasn't that Jimmy McDonald always voiced him. Walt would return and reprise his role every now and then whenever he kind of felt like it just for fun. Um, also Disney releases during 
46, one of their most, probably their most controversial films ever, Song of the South. So that's right. This one depicts slaves happily singing songs while they're working. And actually people would advise Walt against doing that. And he did it anyway. And so um, because of this, this is one of the strikes against Walt as a person. Like I said, he had some moral. See, and this is what I find interesting about this movie, because you're right. It was a controversial movie. You know, it's in a time where, you know, civil rights is is a major thing. I mean, the the star of the movie, they, they release it in the South. And it was still segregated. And so, you know, the star of the movie, who was African-American, couldn't even stay. You're talking about James Basket? Yeah, like he couldn't even stay at the same hotel as everybody else because things were right, segregated. Right, they released it and in stuff. Georgia and he couldn't right, stay. Right, exactly. So, I mean, you kind of have it, you know, you, you have this, you know, cultural conflict going on at the time. And Walt releases this movie, which which is based on a book. It's not like it's an original idea he had. You know, it's not like he's coming up with this himself you know he's basing it on a book so but you're right i mean it's seen as it's a black mark on the company it's it's seen as such yeah like a terrible film you know disney basically modern disney basically just owns that they don't release it anywhere in the united states it's not it, it is the only movie they've never released to dvd but it's but it's released elsewhere like it's released around the world there's vhs's of it it's not gonna be on disney plus but what i find interesting is i see so many people on the internet like on just disney fan sites and things that they seem to love this movie that anytime anybody finds a cop an old vhs of it or they're overseas and they find it everybody's so excited like oh i wish i could see that movie like i wish we could find a copy of it i you know i remember seeing it one time when i was younger you know i wish i had it so there is this like strange love of it uh, I think it's, uh, uh, amongst the fandom. And I think I'm not sure. It if It could be a taboo thing too. Just like, Oh, you know, everyone knows that the, it's something that's frowned upon. So people like well, it because of that. Yeah. I don't know if it's, and I mean, I've obviously never seen yeah, it. We've never seen it because it's, you can't, it's very so hard we to neither, see. We, we neither are, we're, we're not, we're not saying, we're not saying we're proponents of it. Yeah. But, but it's interesting because, you know, I think there's a lot of people that are like completists. It's like, hey, this is, you know, whether warts, it's part and, of warts and all, yeah. it's part of the Disney company. We should be able to see it. You know, there there was some talk of when Disney Plus comes out, do they make it available? Because they said they're going to make the whole vault available. Do they make it available and say, and put a disclaimer at the beginning and say, hey, you know, at the time, this is... because. Times were different in the 40s. I mean, you know, we look on it today and we clearly see like this is, you know, a terrible depiction and things like that. And it's, you know, pro- it's not a movie that would be made today. But there were a lot of movies made in the 40s and 50s that probably wouldn't stand up the test of time today. Not just with depictions of race, but depictions of gender inequality right. and biases that way. And so it's like, you know, do we put a disclaimer on it and say like, hey, like we understand this isn't a great film, you know, we we don't necessarily agree with it as the modern Disney company, but this was made at a time, you know, that it was I don't want to say more acceptable, but almost, for lack of a better term, you know, almost more acceptable, and ultimately they're not going to do that, but it is really interesting and then, and yet you still have one of the most famous songs, Zippity Doodah, came from this movie, and they used that song in Splash Mountain. So it's really interesting how a piece of that is very, that song, like I said, is very popular. And yet it's like, well, 
they don't talk about what movie that came from, but yet there's still a lot of people that want to see that movie. So it is a very interesting dichotomy. So while you say, you know, a lot of people view it as, you know, a, a, a spot on Disney's record and things, I think a lot of people don't view it that way too. You know, it, it's, yeah. it's, it's a strange and I mix. I also think it, I mean, it definitely depends on who you talk to. Um, I think that there's a lot as you and I being white, like we don't quite, understand all of the implications that a movie like this can have so yeah and i'm um, not saying i'm not saying one side right is right, is right. right or wrong and again i mean having and i think it's really hard movie. and it's hard to be sensitive to that because you know we just can't fully understand it it is just a really interesting thing because it is a it's a it's a hard line to try to walk because you want to acknowledge that history but also recognize that that history is hurtful to people and so you don't want to do something that could be hurtful yeah and i i mean i and i completely understand them not wanting to distribute it. I just find it interesting that again, like one of the songs out of that though, they play everywhere. Yeah. You know, you're, but, you're right. I never yet, thought of it. But yet they way. don't acknowledge essentially that that yeah. movie exists. Um, and an interesting, uh, interesting little co- like last comment about that movie is James Baskett, who voiced uncle Remus in that movie actually won an honorary Academy Award for his role. So that's, yeah, that's I think it was nominated. Great. I think it was actually nominated for a couple Oscars for, Best music and scoring of a motion picture, and for the song Zippity Doodah. It's pretty interesting. So, moving right along, uh, in 1948, Seal Island, which was the first of the True Life Adventures series, which is one of Disney's first nature, nature documentaries, it was it premiered. So, Disney has this long running history of making these nature films in addition to all of their animation films. I'm not really sure how well they do. I know that I've never really, I don't think I've ever watched one. Well, now they own Nat Geo, so they'll be making a ton more. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've watched Nat, Nat Geo's, but uh, they, they'll release them in theaters. And um, I think it's a really cool legacy that the, con- the company has toward you know, trying to educate the public about nature. Because I think, again, we're in the 1940s. This isn't really a time where people are thinking about conservation as much and and about, you know, preserving the environment. So this is probably, this is a pretty revolutionary thing that Disney was doing. So they're, again, they're kind of a tastemaker for this particular industry. I mean, the first Earth Day wasn't even celebrated until 1970. Right, right. So back then, this is like when people were like, going to Africa and just killing all the lions. And they were like, oh, look what I got. Back then, nobody would have cared about Cecil the lion getting killed or anything. Right. In 1948, the, the other thing that was very <laughs> interesting that happened, completely kind of unrelated to Disney, but at the same time sort of related, Walt goes to a railroad fair in Chicago, Illinois. Yes. And he basically becomes obsessed yes. with so, trains. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. At the end of the 1940s, things kind of change for Walt it gets more positive but he kind of turns away from the movies and again yes he he gets a love for trains he builds a miniature railroad in his backyard and and now not miniature as in like a model train I mean this was big enough that you could sit on and ride yeah but it wasn't like a full-size train and you know he would like tinker with this like the rest of his life building 
out this train in his backyard. He's not like one of those people with the model train sets. Like he had a, he had a model train set, but his was legit. Yeah, he would get the Imagineers to come over and like help build this thing for him. I mean that that's basically what his his like later years turned into turned into Disneyland and building out trains. Do you think that the the animators were like, oh, Walt asked me to work on his train again? No, I think they or loved the Imagineers. It. I think they loved or they it. were like geeking out over. Yeah, it. Yeah, I think they love they love doing it as as much as he did. But also in 48, he traveled to Chicago and he gets the idea for a Mickey Mouse park. So this is like when he first starts thinking about what will ultimately become Disneyland. Do you know why he thought of that or? Yeah. So what it was is he, he was there for a railroad fair because, again, he loved trains. So he's in Chicago for a railroad fair and it was actually organized into various lands that they had. So they had like different villages and things with different stuff. So they had like a vacation land, a New Orleans section and things. And so Walt got the idea of kind of like a a theme park essentially with like various lands in it. So he saw this and and thought of a, again, he called it a Mickey Mouse park because he he loved his trains. He could essentially do the same thing that they were doing only with fantasy stuff. Right. And he wanted to build a train because again he loved trains he had one in his house so he he kind of dreamt up this idea of a park that had a train in it and then was a, you know a small kind of fairground park around mickey mouse so that so you know right at the end of the 40s he gets you know the seed of an idea that will ultimately you know grow into the the whole you know theme park invent the theme park industry i mean yeah the, the greatest theme park in the history of the world ever Always. Yeah. Well, I mean, theme parks, even today. theme parks didn't exist before Disneyland was built, but but we'll kind of get into that into the 1950s. But yeah, but it's interesting just how, you know, he goes from making these movies and, and again, it, it's a kind of a rocky road through the early and mid 40s. And at the end, he kind of switches gears. He gets this love of trains. He focuses on that. And then he gets to this, this theme park idea. Then everything he does becomes consumed with building this park. And then we'll, we'll kind of get into that. Into the yeah. 50s. So he, he stopped being so into the like the movie creation. And then he kind of has made almost a transition now into like, the next phase of Disney. You know, his mental energies and efforts were more going towards that than they were towards some of like other ideas. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah and, so, and so like I said at the beginning, I mean, when we first started this and we're talking about the 1920s, the beginning of Disney, it seemed like so long ago. But then, I mean, you can see Walt growing as a person through through this. Too. Yeah, but so quickly. I mean, the next episode, once we hit the fifties, it's like it becomes the the Disney company that we kind of know today with theme parks and and television and, and merchandise and all of that sort of stuff. And then it just it quickly you know snowballs from there into this you know the the huge company now that we know today that owns Marvel and Star Wars and Fox and, and everything. Do you, do you know who generates? the most funds for the Disney company? Like, do they make the most money from their movies? Do they make the most from the theme park? Uh, I'm just curious if... Well, the theme, the theme park is a huge profit center for them, and that's why they're constantly putting money into the theme parks. The movies make a lot of money now because they yeah. basically own every movie. Um, <laughs> it used to be TV. Now TV's kind of dropped off. But the thing about Disney is, and this is, again, you know, we'll quickly start seeing this as we get into the next few decades... They built this machine that just kind of feeds off itself. So they make a great movie that has great characters. So they put those characters in the theme park, which gets people going to the theme parks more, which gets them buying more merchandise, which gets more people knowing about the movie. So now there's a sequel, which then 
makes that right. one do better than the first one. And it's just this circle that this flywheel that just keeps building and building on itself. And then it's like gears. Like if you just think yeah. about it, it's yeah. just, it's and a well, and that's why and now you have, Dis- now you have Disney plus everybody's going to want Disney plus because they're going to want the TV shows and the movies and the original series. And that's going to make them want now. Oh, well we really liked this Loki TV series. Maybe we should do a Loki movie now. You know I mean? I'm not sure, right. but um, you know, I'm just saying, or they can start characters off on TV and put them into movies and then bring them into the theme parks. And it, it just, it just builds and builds and builds on itself. It's, it's great corporate synergy. It is. That would have been much better if I would have said it correctly. It's great corporate synergy. Yep. So yeah, so it, it, it's really interesting. So yeah, I think the forties, I mean, so far, have been the most interesting decade. Yeah, I mean, was, the twenties was was kind of slow. The thirties, again, you know, not much is happening in those two decades. But this decade, I mean, a lot's happening company wise. But this is the first one where you have serious conflict. Yeah, you have conflict. You kind of have the historical backdrop of the war again of the Red Scare. You know, it's the golden age. It's some of of animation, but then it's also some of the biggest difficulties that Walt personally and the company has faced. You know, and and so it's it's a really interesting time. And like you said, I mean, a lot of people revere Walt and he he did do a lot of great stuff and he's a great guy. But there also are some, you know, spots on his record, Mm -hmm. you know, that that's not necessarily the best thing. And I don't necessarily think I mean, Disney, you know, I don't think it brings it up, but I mean, it's not like that they've tried to wipe this from all of history. I mean, it's very clearly known in his biography. You know, this time is well written about. It's not like. You know, they they try to you know wash away all of his sins. I mean, I think they realized he was right. a complicated man, the same way anybody is. I mean, again, I mean, we 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 compare him a lot to Steve Jobs. Who, you know, Steve Jobs was a modern visionary, and he did a lot of great things. But I mean, if you talk to anybody that knew him personally or you read his biography, I mean, he was a jerk. Like he was extremely <laughs> mean. He he didn't want he didn't have a license plate on his car because he didn't think he needed one. He would like berate people because he demanded perfection of them and stuff. And he was, he could be very difficult to work with, but then you also hear stories that, but people loved working for him because they were like, he got me to do more than I could have ever, I ever thought I could do. So it is that like pushed people to their limit. Yeah. And I think it's just a reminder that, you know, Hey, you see these people, you know, we hold them up on pedestals. We think they're heroes, but they're as complicated and flawed as we are. I mean that, right. you know, they're, they're not all perfect. So it, so it just, it makes it interesting. And I think how that is one of the things that the movie, the Incredibles does great. You see all of those yeah. characters and how flawed they really are. I mean, Mr. Incredible's not the best dad and he's not even the greatest person. And, their family is complicated and fights and stuff, but they also are superheroes. But they're Sorry. trying, and everybody's yeah, and trying. And, and everybody's trying, and I think that's the same thing. I mean, Walt, he he tried to make people happy. He tried to do the right thing, you know. While sometimes that fell short. Yeah, it, it didn't work. But uh, again, I mean, you know, all of us are are kind of flawed in some respects. So, but I'm it, just a little flawed. You're right. Actually, you are perfect. I haven't met anybody that's as perfect as you. Thank you very much. So yeah, so it, it's just it's a really interesting time. Um, you know, to have this. So, but I think that kind of wraps up the 1940s. Yeah, for the most so, part. yeah it was a, like I said, a there really... was one more award, but I was just going to skip it. They won one for that Seal Island movie for two real documentaries. They're winning, I mean, they win awards left and right. Yeah. It's hard, it's hard to keep track of, yeah, of, all the, of all the awards they win. So, yeah, so I mean, I think that wraps up the decade and, and probably, like I said, our most interesting decade to date. 
but it's going to get more interesting going forward. The 50s is another huge decade, so we'll definitely get to that one shortly. Uh, if you haven't, we've mentioned our the previous decades. If you haven't listened to those episodes yet, kind of go back. This is you know continuing series. We've done the 20s and the 30s, so this is our, our third part in the series, and we'll definitely be continuing it forward. Again, want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, love our listeners. You know, definitely continue to, to listen and, and spread the word. Make sure you subscribe to us or leave us a rating or a review if you haven't yet. Right. And also, I mean, as we're going forward with things that happen, you know, I think the 1920s, 30s and 40s, there's not as much going on. But as we start to get into the 50s and 60s and 70s and the company wraps like ramps up, there's something you want us to definitely make sure we mention from any of those decades. Send us a send us a line like let us know. Hey, in the 60s, this happens. It'd be really cool if you talked about it. Yeah. And you, and you can send us your feedback through Facebook or Instagram or at Enchanted Ears Podcast or through our website www.enchantedearspodcast.com slash podcast question. So I think that wraps up for this week. We'll see everybody here next Monday. And remember, have, have a, a magical, magical day. day.